Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host, Tune City of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. We know how to hit record. Also with us, Jed Brewer. We sure do. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I'm recording. Indeed we are. We're all recording. Uh, that's kind of contingent on you hearing this. Uh, but not only are we recording now, as of publishing this show, we have... Hit that record button 500 times. Wow! They said it couldn't be done. They said it shouldn't be done. And history's on their side, but we did it anyway. Yes, if you go to our Podbean hosting site, the first available episodes are from February of 2012. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) A long, long time ago. That's a different world, man. It really is. If we, if you need some help getting yourself in the mindset, I'll cast us back uh, to February of 2012 uh, when the Billboard Hot 100 looked like this. Number one, uh, Stronger by Kelly Clarkson. Mm. Solid. Uh, Set Fire to the Rain by Adele. Oh. We Are Young, fun, featuring Janelle Monet. Sexy wow. and I Know It by LF- LMFAO and Good Feeling by Flo Rida. Mm. And that is some early 2010 stuff going on right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then at number seven, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, which. What? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Seems good. And then at number 10, a song that I had to check several times to make sure wasn't made up. Give Me All Your Lovin', spelled L-U-V-I-N apostrophe, which is apparently by Madonna featuring Nicki Minaj and M.I.A. Really? That feels like you had an AI make up a lie about a song from 2012. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, in movies, we we turn to uh, the box office from February of 2012. Uh, Number one, uh, by a large margin, a movie called The Vow. Mm. Apparently starring uh, Rachel McAdams and Channing Tatum. No recollection. Uh, a car accident puts Paige in a coma. And when she wakes up with severe memory loss, her husband Leo works to win her heart again. Oh, that was good mm. of him. Despite that description, that is apparently not a Christian movie. Was there a sweater and some pizza? No, I think this one is more of the abs variety. It's definitely a... a he, he's not eating Chick-fil-A at the end of this because nothing fried. If you're going to be leading in Channing Tatum. Right. Uh, number two, safe house. No memory. Number three, journey to the mysterious Island. Hmm. Again, could have made it up. Hmm. Number four, star Wars episode one, the phantom menace. For real. Hmm. Apparently the, there was a 2012 3d re-release. Wow. I don't remember that at all, which is good because Man, I my perception of the past is bad, but when I scrolled down and thought that the Phantom Menace came out in the same year we started the podcast, I almost had a psychic break. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't realize, you know, when we first doing the, the started doing the podcast, you know, we we call it a, a podcast taping, even though there's no tape involved these days. But when we started, it was not only on tape, but Matt had to crank it by hand. In the little spools, he he would he would put his finger in it and dial it around to make it go. And you know, the lot's changed since then. In order to send it in to send the podcast into the future, Matt had to use a railroad to get the DeLorean up to the requisite eighty-eight miles per hour. Right. That's right. And then like that guy fell into a a pile of manure in every timeline. It was a whole thing. Um, we had digital <laughs> recording technology, but Glenn refused to start recording until he said, are you winding it? Right. And I was like, no, it's a solid state hard drive. But you got to wind it right. So I would just make the motion with my hand. Right. <laughs> this calmed him down. You know, you got to transfer some things over. Uh, in the Billboard Christian charts from 2012, uh, number one, a song called Where I Belong by a band called Building 429, which I've only heard of because we interviewed a former member of it for this year's show later on. Mm, uh, wow. Number two, the Newsboys, God's Not Dead, parentheses, Like a Lion. Wow. Uh, which okay. is a weird song title because it makes it sound like they're taunting a dead lion. 
He's not dead like that chump lion that <laughs> died. Right. Well, th- the thing I took away immediately from the song title was the idea that lions can't die. You know, that, you know, in, in the same way that all lions live forever. Also, God is not dead. It's always like, guys, I'm not like a professional zoologist, but I'm pretty sure lions do eventually pass on. Somebody had to sit down and try to explain to the newsboys that not only is Aslan fictional, even if he were real, that would not be all lions and gave up after a short time. <laughs> We've also got songs from Jeremy Camp, Matt Redman, Mercy Me, Toby Mac. So it's nice to see the Christ- casting crown. So it's nice to see the Christian music industry has really uh, grown and evolved in the intervening 10 years. <laughs> uh, we did have an amazing thing that may warrant going back to the, the big Christian movie of 2012 that I could find. We had a few, there's blue like jazz. The movie came out uh, a couple of like, you know, Bible biopics. Then there's one that I did not know existed. It came out in March of 2012. So it was, being finished even as we were recording that first podcast called Monumental in Search okay. of America's National Treasure. Uh-oh. And it stars Kurt Cameron. Okay. Uh-oh. Here's Uh-oh. the plot. Cameron asserts that a blueprint of America's treasures is manifest in the National Monument to the Forefathers, a large 1889 granite structure in Plymouth, Massachusetts, that commemorates the Mayflower, Mayflower Pilgrims. Co-writer Marshall Foster ascribes this to the statue, the contextual validity of Monumental's message. Based in, you know, blah, 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 blah. Basically, Kurt Cameron tried to make Christian national treasure, and we didn't wow, know it. Wow. We weren't aware of such things. We didn't really have an emergency segment when we started the podcast. I can guarantee you that would have made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we move to, I think, maybe what will be the most telling. We have in front of us the edition of the Christianity Today website from February 2012. Wow. Let's start at the top with the cover stories. The best ways to fight poverty. Really? Subhead, the government is by far the best institution to raise the poor standard of living. The church does something more important for them. So that's, you know, that's promising. Hopefully things continue to go in that direction. Will they? Well, they don't even last to the next article, which is an essay called Cost-Effective Compassion. Economists rate the impact of strategies for helping the poor. So that, I I think it's fair to say in the contest of ideas, that one won out. (laughs) We scroll down, we find uh, a purpose-driven cosmos. Why Jesus doesn't promise us an afterlife. Which is a very uh, weird word salad. But in 2012, they were just figuring out SEO. And I think the Christian thing was, if you put purpose-driven in front of anything, it'll get some clicks. (laughs) There's apparently an article about uh, the songs of of one Leonard Cohen, famously Christian gentleman. Sure. (laughs) Um, Oh, here's a time capsule of an article that I'm sure all of it will hold up. uh, From February 2012 edition of Christianity Today. Masculinity in the movies. Oh, no. Now, I'm not a Christianity Today scriber, but uh, I can get the article, the first few paragraphs of the article by clicking on that. It starts out with a conversation about John Eldridge's discussion of being a real man and wild at heart, so swing and a miss. But here comes something interesting. Oh, here's here's a young man with a bright future. Eldridge wrote that for a boy to, quote, become truly masculine, he ultimately needs, quote, a battle to fight and, quote, a place for the warrior in him to come alive. Mars Hill Church pastor Mark Driscoll, Uh fond Uh of cage fighting and occasional cussing, believes in, quote, ultimate fighting Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Who could have predicted that guy was going to go horribly wrong? Speaking of both Christianity Today and podcasts. Yeah, that's, you know. That one came around. Uh, let's see. They get a quote from an underdog named Paul Coughlin, author of, quote, author of the book, No More Christian Nice Guys, writes that, quote, a meek and mild Jesus is a bore. He doesn't inspire us. Good. Those are words Jesus used to describe himself. <laughs> so, there, you know, at least that's come a bit far. Uh, oh, we also managed to work uh, in this sentence. The trend trickled even down to Sherwood Pictures, the church production company behind Facing the Giants, Fireproof, and now on DVD, Courageous, whose films are typically more, quote, meek and mild than, quote, 
mean and wild, leading man, a football coach, fireman, cops. I've always carried Sherwood's movies, but the coach in Giants was too whiny, and Fireproof's Kirk Cameron was too much of a pretty boy. Was that the problem with Fireproof? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Was Kirk Cameron's overwhelming, distracting physical attractiveness the thing that drug down Fireproof? Although I, I, I am intrigued now. In, you know, we live in an age of, of AI and deep learning algorithms and these kind of things. I want a a re- recreation of Fireproof, but where uh, what's his name has been replaced entirely with a mid nineteen eighties uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, and I want you to think about that and just let that play out in your brain for a little bit. Everything else is identical, but it's mid 1980s Jean-Claude Van Damme the whole time. And I think to really do it right, he's like in the full on fight mode, right? Are we talking about the mullet years? Of course. Oh, yeah. Well, I think he's doing a split, the splits between the chairs thing like constantly. Yeah. This, for this no is what reason. I'm, like their their argument about pizza. He's having that argument while he's doing the splits between chairs, right? It's oh, not absolutely. referenced. He's not referenced in any way. Like he's yelling about you don't respect me as he's doing the splits. He can't wear a sweater <laughs> because it would cover up the pecs. This this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm Blood saying. Bloodsport proof. Well, in the <laughs> end, he, he trades out his normal tank top for a knit tank top, and that's how you know he changed. That there it is. Wow. There it is. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Also, I, I hope you're all joining me, and I we can't do it because it would be racist against the Belgians, but uh, John, the whole you don't respect me because there's no pizza speech in Jean-Claude Van Damme's accent. <laughs> Very limited grasp of English. Like when he played noted wow. uh, American hero Guile in the Street Fighter movie, and they were like, <laughs> uh, he, he's just got to be Belgian. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> Well, as we as we wrap up, we I will scroll to the bot the last thing in the more from this issue uh, from Christianity Day of 2012. Uh, who's next? Some spotlights on some uh, fine upcoming Christian folks. Johnny Moore mentor students at Jerry Falwell's Liberty University. Yikes! Oh, that oh. ended well. That's that's going to be a yikes. So. Um, I think compared to a lot of other stuff going on in Christian circles in 2012, we've we've made it out pretty good. Oh yeah, we're rocking it. That's what I'm taking away from from this segment. And on that reassuring note, I think we can declare emergency off. Well done. I think I think I speak for all of us. I'll take a rare moment of sincerity in the early uh, portion of the show here when we say, uh, "Thanks for listening. It's it's a lot of fun to do this show. We're excited to keep doing yeah. it. Uh, there are, I know personally." And have heard that there are some of you who have listened to all of those episodes. Wow. That's well, you can't listen to all of them because one through three do no longer exist on the internet, nor should they. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, people have been with us from the beginning. People have jumped on and, and binged or just jumped on and listened through. Uh, we appreciate it. It's a fun show to yeah. do. The, you guys are what makes it fun. We've had people. Uh, visit the bridge and even come through Oak Ridge. And I didn't mean that to rhyme in the Dr. Seussian way it did, but that's just apparently how good <laughs> vibes come out. Uh, Absolutely. You know, a couple of us have, have traveled to places and gotten to meet uh, podcast listeners. We have, we all have like real honest to God. We convert, converse them in our everyday lives of friends who started out as podcast listeners. It's, it's an amazing thing to do. We're, we're, we're super thrilled to do it. And uh, we hope you keep listening so we can keep doing it. Crazy. That's true. And that is all fantastic stuff. And on that, we will move to the plugs. Another podcast favorite, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. If you want to check Bridgebox out, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. If you want to check out our bridge cast, comes out every Sunday, 7 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash bridge Chicago. We are going to jump into our first question here. If you handle this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. Or you can click down, scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, how honest does one need to be? Like, there's no such thing as telling the whole truth. What's the line between leaving things out and a lie of omission? And a, another cool topic. And uh, Jed, where do we start off here? Man, it's a great question. I'm really glad that you wrote in. Let's start here. Um, if you've grown up in kind of a legalistic church background, and particularly in certain kind of you know holiness tradition stuff, 
you've probably been given some really messed up ideas about what uh, constitutes honesty, um, because uh, you've probably been taught that anything other than maximum strength disclosure about everything at all times is deception and therefore lying and therefore bad. And let's let's go ahead and kill that uh, right from the get-go, because we don't see Jesus live that out. Um, just a quick uh, example. This is Matthew 12, starting verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mothers and brothers stood outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So here we see Jesus asking questions that he already knows the answer to. We see Jesus making statements that are not literally true, even though they are proving a point. So if we're trying to make some sort of weird legalistic Bible argument that we have to be like this bizarre degree of maximum transparent about everything all the time, we don't see Jesus do that. We, we actually see Jesus not do that. So we can go ahead and kill that right now. We need to be clear then, if we're going to talk about just normal people life, that there's not a perfectly defined line on this. Um, there, there's not a, a truthometer that you can turn on that can tell you um, exactly how you're doing and, and exactly are you being sufficiently honest. And part of the reason why there's not a perfectly defined line here is that honest and what degree is appropriate varies depending on the setting and the context yep. and the purpose and the application. Um, if you are giving a legal deposition, they're pretty clear about what honest means. And that's an entirely different environment and situation than the clerk at the Circle K saying, hey, how are you today? These are different things. We we all know that. We all get that. So it means that we're going to have to do this really hard thing of figuring out based on the context that we are in what makes sense and what is appropriate. It is worth asking, really looking at two things as, as a kind of left and right limits. The first is just in your heart of hearts, in the situation that you're in, are you trying to deceive people? If you find yourself in a situation where you're trying to deceive people, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong, but it probably is something to look at. At the very least, it's probably something to look at of why are we making these decisions? What's driving that? Is this the best way to handle it? On the other hand, on kind of on the, the other extreme, a certain degree of disclosure is always voluntary. Even in environments where you are, you know, asked to be maximum strength disclosive, a certain degree of disclosure is always voluntary. And I think it's worth you looking at what would you get out of being that voluntary level of disclosive in this situation? Because optional honesty, and there's always a form of optional honesty, carries both risk and reward. Um, there are some environments where that extra bit of here's what I really think can really shoot you in the foot. And there are certain environments where it can actually create a depth of trust and vulnerability and intimacy in a relationship that there's no other way to get. And so it's worth looking at what are the risks and what are the rewards? Because again, even when we are well within the bounds of an appropriate degree of honesty for the situation, there is kind of that last couple of percent that is always voluntary. And it's worth looking at what is, is that wise here? Is, will that get you something? Does that do any good for the other people that are involved here? So again, we've got these kind of three things that we need to, to, to look at. The first, of course, is just the idea of the weird legalistic thing is just not in the Bible, so we're going to kill that. But then we got three things. The first is there is not a perfectly defined line on this, so we, we need to grow comfortable with that degree of ambiguity. The second is if we find ourselves in a situation where we're openly trying to deceive people, it's good to do a gut check and try and look at why are we doing that? Are there other ways to approach this? And then if we're looking at, do I want to be maximum strength disclosive? What are the risks? What are the rewards? Again, mm -hmm. why are we trying to err in that direction? Is that a good idea? I think if you're bearing those things in mind, you're going to be navigating this about as well as anybody can. I think that's a fantastic place to start off there. And Lee, I'd love to get you to, to pick us up and expand on what uh, Jez Yenis here, because he's talking a lot about, uh, context. And I think maybe the most important context is a relationship you have with the person you're talking to, right? 100%. I think one of the places that we can get tripped up in this very easily as Jed is lining out is, is when we try to look at this in a binary way, there is a right way and a wrong way, period. That's it. 
Um, we've got to be able to recognize the subtlety and nuance of relationships, of situations, of contexts, of of our own maturity. So uh, let, let's break some of those things down. Um, the degree of honesty that would be appropriate, um, a lot of times, one of the most healthy considerations is what is the level of relationship that I'm in with the person with whom I'm talking? So if I'm not best friends with somebody, I have a very different line of how much information I'm willing to disclose of how, how, you know, uh, how robust, uh, an excuse do I need to give for why I didn't come to that thing? It's a really weird thing in, in our culture. We oftentimes feel like if I don't want to go to a party I was invited to or something like that, I've got to give this ironclad reason why I didn't go. I had some errands that I had to run. I couldn't do them any other time. And so you see, I really wanted to come to your thing, but I couldn't come, even though that may not be true. You can just say to someone, I can't make it. And that's it. You can just say, I can't make it. You don't have to give the perfect, amazing reason that they will then forgive or accept or whatever. When we look at different relationships in our lives, we don't have to give the same amount of robust honesty to every single person in our lives. We we have relationships with different people at different levels. Um, and, and this is a really, really key point that that is something that more people need to own the agency of this statement, but here it is. You get to have things that are just your business. Yep. You get to have things where you don't have to break down all of that. It's nobody else's business, and that's okay. That doesn't make you a dishonest person. It means that not everything about your life is everybody's business, and that is okay. Um, another thing is there's a there's a weird thing in our culture or in, I don't know, in, in kind of community settings and stuff like that where we feel like, you know, um, I, I have this part of my life and, uh, you know, it's my past and I'm not super proud of it or whatever. And so when anybody asks me about that, I've got to get down into the nitty gritty and the difficulty and the, and the, you know, and some of it is shameful for me or whatever. And I've got to tell the whole awful story of my whatever, uh, you know, Christians talk about my testimony or my witness or, or whatever it is, you know, my story. There is a thing that happens in a certain degree of maturity where you realize it would be healthy and healing for me to retire some of my stories. I'm going to say that again because I think that for a lot of believing folks, especially younger folks, you don't feel the permission to do this. You get to go, get to a certain point in your life where certain stories that were about your past that the Lord brought you through that may not show you in the best light, but the Lord brought you through that thing. You get to retire those stories. You don't have to tell those stories for the rest of your life and feel all kind of way, you know, all, all different kinds of ways about that whole thing that happened all those years ago. You get to retire your stories. Again, some things are only your business and you get to retire your stories. The other thing that I would say is there might there might be some things where you realize there are some true things that I could say in this situation or in this relationship, and I'm going to omit some of the true things that I may be thinking because some of them may be my opinion, some of them may be from my angle, but I'm going to omit them actually out of a kindness of not, uh, you know, like extending an injury to someone with whom I don't have a great relationship or with, with whom I may have a good relationship, but I'm not just trying to injure that person. So I'm going to lay off my opinion about this, even though from my angle, it is true. Again, this is not a sin of omission, like you're being deceptive or a liar. This is you out of kindness saying, I'm going to do some triage and I'm going to parse through all the things I think and not say all of my opinions. This is a thing we've talked about on this podcast a lot of times, not not necessarily in every one of our 500 episodes apparently, but that a great part of, of Christian maturity is to realize I don't have to air out my opinions all the time. I, I can I can be less in love with my opinions. That doesn't if if I omit some of my opinions in certain res, 
relationships and certain conversations. That doesn't make me a dishonest person. That may make me a very kind person. So again, you get to have things that are your own business. You get to retire some of your own stories. You get to hold some things back that may be injurious to other people because you realize that out of kindness, I don't need to say uh, all my opinions all the time. That All of that stuff to further illustrate where Jed started us on, which is the idea that it's not a black and white thing that you say everything you're thinking all the time or you're a liar. There is more context to this. There are situational ethics. There are relationship ethics. There are things that come with maturity and, and the healing of your own personal story that all have to be taken into account. And the Lord can help you discern the nuance of that. And that takes me to a very, very important word in Christian culture that doesn't appear enough in church and sermons and stuff like that, which is discernment. Looking at a situation and using the the wisdom of the Lord and the the guiding of the Holy Spirit and, and good advice, discerning what is smart, what is right, what is wise, what is kind. There's a lot of subtlety, a lot of nuance, a lot of play in the wheel in all of these issues. And the thing that's going to help you more than anything is getting yourself to a quiet place of your mind, getting yourself to enough humility and getting yourself into enough prayer and stuff that you can discern what would be best, what would be wise, what would be healthy, what would be kind. A great, great place to take that. And Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I, yeah, I think the, I, I think we're, we're looking at the way that you're framing this question and we're wondering, is this the kind of thing where you're beating yourself up about it because you feel like I'm not being honest and I'm kind of being two-faced and, you know, that that doesn't feel good? Or, or is it somebody else putting this on you and saying, you know, you have to be brutally honest about everything? But here's the thing. Honesty is a virtue. Uh, it's a godly virtue. It's It's a thing we all should aspire to. I think honesty is also one of those things we all could do a lot more than we do it. You know, it's it's more doable. It's more feasible. It's more, uh, you know, a thing that, that we can accomplish than we think. Uh, but I think it's also important to recognize while honesty is a virtue, gentleness and respect are also virtues. So if I say something that's honest but isn't gentle— I'm just getting one thing right while simultaneously getting some other thing wrong. That doesn't make me righteous at all. Uh, the Bible says we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have and do so with gentleness and respect. So that means I, I need to be uh, uh, aware of my gentleness level in, when I'm being honest, that those two actually go together. But I don't think we see that. When we step back and say, oh, I could never be honest about this, you know, because we're, we're trying to say the most brutal version of the truth is the deepest, most essential truth. And the reality is that's not often true. So think about it like this. If someone, let's say somebody, you know, you know paints a picture and they show it to you and they say, do you like this picture? And you look at it and to you, it's a hideous series of blobs. Okay. But the question is, do you, t if you frame this as, should I tell them I think this is a hideous mess or not? Because if I told them that, they would cry. And so I can't be honest. That's the wrong way to look at it. And it's the wrong way to frame the situation. What they're saying is, I made something. I'm proud of it. Would you like to now say something nice about that? Right. And you absolutely can say something nice about it. You can look at it and say, I just like that you did this. I'm proud of you and impressed that you had an idea, you did a thing, you did the heck out of it. I don't know exactly what I'm looking at. That's because I'm not an art critic, and I don't know. I like pictures of dogs playing poker. That's what I would hang on my wall. So you're asking the wrong person. Also, I think you're amazing, so I'm not going to be objective. I, I, I think anything you do is awesome. So this is an example of your, your inner awesomeness that you've put on Canvas. I don't, I don't really know what I'm looking at here, but it's, it's a heck of a version of whatever it is. You know, 
That's 100% honest. It's also addressing the underlying thing. But you're, you're engaging with that. You're being honest. But you're being honest about the, the actual underlying thing. So, you know, these are, these are social convention sort of things that uh, if people say, are you having a nice day? They understand you're not supposed to be brutally honest about that. If you go for a job interview, they expect you to put your best foot forward. That's understood. So it's it's not you're being dishonest. You're just putting your best foot forward, which is, again, that's the social convention. So I think if you're calling any of that dishonesty, you don't actually understand, you know, either you don't understand the social convention or you don't understand the idea of, of honesty. But I think the other thing that these fellows are pointing to that I really want to draw a bright line underneath is this idea of you can be honest without giving all the details. And I think the the way that that works is I always try to give the size and shape of something, but not those details. So if somebody says, how are you doing? I might say, it's been a long week and a rough week, but I'm coming to the end and I'm looking forward to a nice set of days off. That's 100% true. If you want to know why I had a long week, I might tell you, that's none of your dang business. I might tell you, there's a lot of stuff going on with people that I can't give you the details on it because it's a counseling situation and I'm, I couldn't disclose that. Uh, so, you know, you, you, might, uh, you might not get all the details you want out of that situation, but 99 times out of 100, nobody really is dying to have all the details. It just... right. You know, how was your week? It's a rough week, but it's coming to the end, and I'm soldiering through it and trying to keep a positive attitude. That's the truth. That's that's what it is. It's it, I'm not leaving out details that would be deceptive. I'm leaving out details because I don't know you. I don't trust you. I'm not trying to give you all the little uh, details of my life. And uh, so I can be honest in that situation and also uh, recognize an appropriate trust level with people. That's all great stuff from all these guys. And it really does boil down to these things are situation specific, relationship specific. Um, And there's a lot of times you just have to feel something out, you know, Um, it is okay. And even right in some situations, these guys are pointing out to uh, withhold information. There are perfectly legitimate reasons to do that. It is also people's right to be unhappy that you withheld information, but that doesn't make it right or wrong. That just makes them unhappy with it. Sometimes you get, you get told something you're not happy with happens to all of us and you kind of have to move on. And these are those kind of nuances that you have to find a long way. But if you follow the advice these guys gave you, that will be a lot easier. Move on to our next question here. It says, I forgave someone for something. It wasn't like really bad or dramatic, but they did an uncool thing. But it still feels weird to be around them. I don't think I'm still angry. I guess more annoyed and wary. Does that mean I didn't really forgive them? Am I missing something? And another very, very cool question. And Lee, where would we start off? Such a cool question. Such an important question. And such an important thing for us to talk about, especially in Christian culture, because this is a thing that gets misunderstood a lot. And the... And and a piece of this that would sound like wisdom gets weaponized against people a whole, whole lot. So I want to point out one word in your question, the way you formed the question when you said that I feel wary. That's a really, really important word. Um, it's It's a really sharp word to use here. And the thing that I want to point to is that there is a gigantic difference between forgiveness and a reconciled friendship. Um, you can, and it sounds like, by the way, that you have, you can forgive a person for their offense against you and still decide we're not going to be in a reconciled friendship. Um, we're not going to carry on the level of relationship that we had whenever you committed this offense. That doesn't mean that you hold a grudge against that person. That doesn't mean that you want to get them back. That doesn't actually mean that you feel any kind of, that you're expending any kind of emotional energy on that person at all. It may just be a situation where you've realized they behaved in a certain way that exposed the fact that I cannot trust them 
to handle certain things about our relationship. Therefore, in a a state of very good wisdom, I am saying I'm not going to put myself in the position to experience that again. Therefore, I'm creating this boundary or this distance between us. Um, That doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. Again, what it means is, is that you're saying, I want to keep myself safe from a person who has proved themselves unsafe. Um, The Bible does command that we love everybody. It does not command that we be best friends with everybody. Um, You do not, you are not bound to make sure that you have perfect repair and continuation of every single friendship in your life. And especially when somebody has proved themselves um, untrustworthy or unsafe or they've done a thing. You can forgive that thing and move on past it. You use the word wary in your question. As I said before, that's an important word in this situation because what it indicates is that you realize, I feel nervous about opening myself up to a person who has proven themselves untrustworthy. That makes perfect sense to me. Again, I don't know all the details of the situation, so if it would help for us to know a little bit more and you want to do a follow-up email with one of us or or a couple of us or whatever, we'd be glad to walk through some of the details with you on that stuff. But you can forgive and decide that you need to keep your distance from somebody. Um, and by the way, you can do that without being super emotional. You can do that in a, in a calculated, uh, prosaic way where you say, it is best and safest for me for us not to be in a close relationship right now because you've actually broken my trust. And that, by the way, doesn't mean that you're inviting them to, to break their back to earn your trust back. Um, you can just decide, you know what? I just need some distance from you. You get to decide that stuff. That doesn't mean that you're holding a grudge. It doesn't mean you're unforgiving. But there, and, and I mean, we don't need to get into all of them, but there are actual, you know, precedents for this in the New Testament. There are places in the New, Te- places in the New Testament where the, the Apostle Paul, for instance, encourages people, look, when a certain person behaves in a certain way, you warn them once, you warn them twice, and then you need to have nothing to do with them. And that's the New Testament, man. That's scripture that is that is breathed by God for for the uh, instruction of his people. And so these this setting up this kind of boundary doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven. It just means that you realize I am wary and I don't want to set myself up in an unsafe situation to be treated this way again. A great great place to start off. Glenn, where do we take it from there? Well, yeah, I I think it is a great place to start us off, and and like we're saying here, um, y- you know, we're uh, we're either going to make assumptions or we're going to kind of talk really big picture. So let me um, talk a really big picture here. So let's talk left and right limits on this, so you can dial in where you are in this, and I'm sure you're somewhere in between these two extremes that are both bad. So, you know, not implying that you're on one or the other, uh, but instead that you're somewhere in the continuum between them. But I think the, 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 the left limit, so to speak, is being in denial about the wrongness that, you know, you say uh, it wasn't really bad or dramatic. Uh, so it would be wrong if it actually was bad and dramatic or it was, you know, a real uh, trauma or a real you know, someone's really being a world-class jerk or something like that. And then you were sort of downgrading that to no big deal kind of a thing. That's, that's, that's one wrong way to handle it. The other wrong way on sort of the other extreme is uh, responding with this problem uh, or sort of this trigger in an insecure way. So the thing about insecurity is it's you're always looking for signs, you know, what do they mean by that and why do you think they said it that way? And um, you know, uh, you know they said something nice, but I think they mean it in a really rude way. That kind of thing. Again, I'm sure you're not on that level of that kind of extreme, but those are the two uh two wrong left and right limits of how to handle this. So 
So it's really about what's in between those two and, and how do we find the ideal thing that's in between those two. And as we've said often on, on the podcast, it's, it starts with understanding. Uh, it starts with figuring out really or trying to understand why is this person doing what they're doing? Uh, because that has a way of kind of um, make it easier for you to forgive, which is really good. But it also kind of gives you a bit of a roadmap of why you don't want to be around them and whether you shouldn't be around them or when, you know, like, uh, are, are they a jerk about certain things at certain times and you get that understanding so you just don't want to be around them in those kind of things or, you know, like, you know, like they're always a jerk when politics comes up. So you you have that understanding of they have a weird political something. And so if politics comes up, you kind of leave the room or whatever. So it gives you sort of a roadmap on how to deal with that person uh, by having that level of understanding. And you apply that understanding to yourself as well and say, you know, it's it, the, this could reasonably be taken as like a real uncool, sort of like a mean-spirited kind of thing or an inconsiderate kind of thing. Uh, then, you know, th- you have that understanding. I think you can also add to that in terms of understanding that you point towards yourself, a sense of, well, there are times when I can be uncool too. If it's, if it's a fairly not bad uh, or dramatic thing, as you put it, you know, part of the moving on process is recognizing, okay, I can be uncool too. So, you know, I, I, you know, that helps me put this in a certain kind of perspective, but I, I think if you dig what I'm saying, it's wrong to get into just a blanket excusing kind of mindset of a denial. And it's wrong to get in that place where you're always suspicious because the insecurities are driving that suspiciousness. Uh, You're not going to be at peace on either of those extremes. Uh, And you're, in a sense, going to be wounded by those uh, being on those extremes. So we want you to find that peace that's in between and I think understanding is the key on that. I think that's all great stuff. And Jed, where would we wrap this up? Well, the one piece that I would want to point to you is the idea of trust, because uh, I think that that's a big part of what you're dealing with. So um, if you are an adherent of the Christian religion, uh, you you do actually have an obligation to love other people, whether they deserve it or not. But you do not have an obligation to trust other people, whether they deserve it or yeah. not. Uh, and in fact, we, we only trust people when they earn it. And uh, we see there's examples in Scripture where the Bible is clear that Jesus uh, is choosing not to entrust himself to people. Uh, if Jesus yeah. can do that, so can you. And I think that you know a big part of what you're doing with here, you say that you feel wary. So that says to me that this person, at least very likely, has not re-earned whatever trust was lost. And um, I think that's part of what you're dealing with. I think the the question really becomes are they trying to re-earn that trust um do they know how to do that do you know what that would look like um do we have any sense of of what a um a recreation of trust could or would be and to be clear i'm not suggesting that you have an obligation to figure that out um we we don't do victim blaming on this and we also don't assign homework to people who have been mistreated so don't hear me saying that um but if you're looking at it and you're like i i want to to figure this thing out if if that's your decision then i think trust is probably a big part of it and figuring out what would allow you to feel like they have re-earned your trust is that a possibility right so there's both like a logistical element of like, so let's use like a really simple example so that it keeps stuff straightforward. Somebody said that they were going to you know meet you for coffee at 6 p.m. and they just never showed up. They just blew it off and, and you know, didn't call, didn't write, nothing. Okay, well, that would be an uncool thing. Um, and it, you know, per your question, I don't know if it's bad or dramatic, but it's uncool and it might require some forgiveness. So trusting them to do the things that they've said they would do in the future. Like they have damaged that trust. Um, What you might want to do again, if your decision is that you want to figure out, can we rear and trust 
is to maybe present them with a really low impact opportunity to try again. Like I'm going to leave, you know, for the coffee shop at 5 PM. If you're here, you know, five minutes before that, you're welcome to join me. If they don't show up, it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't leave you, you know, stranded and sitting in a coffee shop by yourself the way that it did the first time, but it's an opportunity for them to try again in a very low impact way. But there may also be situations where there's not really, really a way for them to re-earn trust, or they may have no interest in re-earning trust. They just kind of are the way that they are, in which case, well, that's that's why we feel wary around them, because this is not a person that I can trust, at least in, in this arena. And um, most people don't want to spend a lot of time around people that they know they can't trust. The one other thing that I would add in, uh, which we've talked about before on the show, and, and it comes from this really amazing quote from Maya Angelou, says, when people show you who they are, believe them the first time. Yep. Let me repeat that. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time. We're all capable of having bad days, and we're all capable of saying and doing stuff that is not the best version of ourselves. But once you know that you're dealing with a pattern with someone, at least in some way, they, they are showing you who they are, at least towards you and at least in this arena. And I want to encourage you to believe them. Um, you, you, you don't need to, once we know it's a pattern, we actually don't need to test that theory anymore. And figuring out what do you want to do, given that they've made it clear how they are, I think that, you know, our desire, is, as all of us have said, is, is for you to have peace about yourself and about your situation. Um, living life on life's terms means taking people as they are, figuring out a strategy that can handle the fact that this is the kind of person I'm dealing with. Maybe they're open to rebuilding trust. Maybe you're open to that. Maybe it's a possibility. Maybe it's not. But when people show you who they are, when there's a pattern of behavior demonstrating who they are, give yourself the permission to believe them and act accordingly. We've got your back. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, it seems like in the U.S. there might be another COVID wave coming. How do I keep from losing my mind, being angry, and disheartened? And uh, not the funnest question, but an important one, and uh, one it's it's definitely worth looking at. Glenn, where do we start off? Well, you may be asking the wrong guy because uh, uh, you know I don't know. Uh, it uh, it would be very difficult to not be disheartened by more bad news in an area that where we're all tired of hearing bad news. Um, so I, I, let's be humble about that before we dive in, but I think it is worth looking at uh, coming through this hard and challenging season of, of all the COVID stuff. We all know about ourselves, what we can endure. And I think we almost, I, I think this almost certainly has to be true for you. It is for me. I endured a whole lot more than I thought I could. Like a whole, whole lot. Like, you know, there are things where I'm optimistic about myself on, or my expectations are too high or all those kinds of things. But if you described what we all went through and, and told me that I was going to be able to survive that with reasonably good mental health, I would have told you you're crazy. I mean, just, you know, you're, you're talking about an impossible thing. But it also ought to speak to you and I that if we, you know, now we know what we can endure. And if you can endure it once, you can endure it twice. And the second time is going to be easier than the first. So I think we ought to have a degree of confidence based on that. Um, I think the second thing I'd have you look at is... The idea about dealing with difficult and challenging uh, crises and, and problems is that you prepare for the worst possible scenario of that, uh, it, it, particularly if it's reasonably likely. Uh, then you put it out of your mind, and that's that's the that's the objective. The objective is prepare for it. You know, just know how you will handle certain things, and then it's already handled. It's like you've already decided how you're going to win the battle before it happens. 
So then you know what the outcome is going to be. You you certainly know which uh, challenge you want to face, and it's not more of this uh, COVID stuff. But preparing for it is something that we do in order to put it out of our mind and move on with everything else we've got to deal with in life. Uh, Dwelling on it is either you haven't prepared for it, so prepare for it, or you have prepared for it, so what are you thinking about it? And why are you obsessing over it? That kind of thing. I think the final thing I would say is, this would be my question to you, and I'm pointing this finger back at myself, by the way, is to, I think we ought to all ask ourselves, what self-care things do you wish that you would have done on the last lockdown? Now, I think when I started in it and I, when you started in it, we all looked at each other and we said, you know, this is the perfect time to learn to speak Italian, which is insane. It's a pandemic. You, you're not going to speak Italian in a pandemic. You're going to, you know, hold on for dear life. So we had these weird high expectations off of that. But, you know, I saw a lot of holes in my self-care on that. And, you know, you, you, you think you're doing pretty good over here, but you're missing it over in this other department. And that really jumps up to bite you in the behind. And you say, I should have been, you know, covering down on all these different areas of self-care. And some I did okay in and some I didn't. I want you to look at that for your life and say, where could I be better at that self-care, you know, where I missed it previously, and then start doing those things now so that you're way ahead of the game, regardless of what happens next. A really, really good place to start that off. And Jed, where do we go from there? Well, I certainly agree both with Glenn and with the import of your question that uh, it would be very strange to not be angry and disheartened. Uh, I can't speak for other countries, but the place that I live collectively, man, we've not done a good job. It 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 has been bad. So um, uh, anger and discouragement are very appropriate um, responses to that. And I think that to not lose our minds, uh, to you know, use your language, I think we're going to need to develop and use good coping skills. It's a difficult time. It's a challenge. It's unfair. It's uncool. It's exhausting. It's overwhelming. And we, we need good coping skills. I actually want to refer you to uh, another quote from another cool guy. This is a guy named Victor Frankel. Um, who uh, was dealing when, when he's talking here, he's, he's talking about his experiences in the Holocaust. And he says, everything can be taken from a, from a human. Everything can be taken from a human, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And I think that idea of your attitude being up to you, I think is really, really key when things get difficult because um, being angry, being disheartened, feeling like you're going to lose your mind, those are all perfectly, perfectly reasonable um, responses, but they are just that. They are responses. They are reactions to what's going on. And the interesting thing about your attitude is that's more about how you're going to uh, deal actively with the situations of your life. Um, the, the anger and the frustration, uh, there's no way around that. That's going to happen. But again, that, that's a response. Whereas I think that that the attitude is more of an intention that you want to carry. And that may sound like kind of an airy fairy difference, but I think it really matters. Something I've been thinking about, you don't have to use this at all. You can feel, throw it, th- you can feel th- free to throw it away. But for me, I think one of the things about times being pretty tough right now is we have a way of, telling ourselves times were really good and now times are really bad. And, and in a sense that is true, but there's another sense in which as long as we're on this planet, there's always something going wrong. There's always tough stuff. There's always difficulties. There, there are no seasons that are just perfect where everything is just right because um, we don't have that on planet earth, man. Um, and so kind of the, the two, the two things that, that I've been looking at, which again, if it's useful for you keep it, if not, you know, throw it away. But do you have things that you can enjoy in the season in which you find yourself? Do you have things you can enjoy and are you enjoying them? 
do you have ways that you can serve others in the season in which you find yourself? And are you serving them? If you've got stuff that you can enjoy and you're enjoying it, and if you've got ways that you can serve and you are serving, you actually have the stuff that really matters for living a satisfying life right now today. You actually have the stuff that really matters for living a life that you can feel good about right now today. That's not to say that everything's great because it is definitely, definitely not. And in a very angering way, but that's, that's different from saying that everything sucks and it's different from saying that it's not possible to have a good life. And it's different from saying that it's not possible to have a satisfying life. I think that you day by day, five minutes at a time, I think that with the attitude that you decide on, I think that you can set an intention for yourself of how you want to deal with the world. And I think that if we orient ourselves towards finding those things that we can enjoy and enjoying them and finding those ways that we can serve and serving, I think that that's going to give us our best shot for five minutes at a time, living a life that is satisfying and that we can feel good about. I, that's, that's really great stuff. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think both what Glenn and Jed are pointing to is the fact that you can do things to set yourself up for success. And what, what might some more of those things be? Well, you've already heard a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great stuff. Um, the, the key thing I want to kind of highlight and reinforce here from these other guys is the concept of learning from what you've already done. Um, that Glenn talked about, you already went through a, um, a pandemic already and you learned a lot of stuff about yourself and, and, Maybe you didn't accomplish the goals that you set out to of making the perfect sour bread, sourdough bread and, and you know, putting together a 17,000-piece puzzle or whatever the things were or learning Portuguese or whatever it was. But you did learn some stuff about yourself, exactly as Glenn said. And I want to reinforce and, and add to that what Jed just said. What have you learned about what brings you joy? Well, let's look at the flip side of that. What have you learned during the midst of the pandemic that you already went through that, that really kind of triggered you and, and sapped your joy or your energy. I'll just yeah. put myself on front street right here and say, um, the news did not help me. Um, and getting the, getting cable news and internet news out of my face and out of my eyeballs has brought me a lot of peace. Yeah. Um, it's brought me a lot of calm and when you, and I'm not saying that's the thing for you, maybe you love news, maybe you love a certain newscaster or a certain journalist or something like that. Great. What I'm, what I'm pointing to here though, is are you willing to look at some things honestly that other people may have in their life that you've recognized? Yes, but I can't have that in my life because it triggers me or takes away my joy or takes away my peace. Um, I would lean into things that give you peace and give you enjoyment. And I would be highly um, sensitive to things that sap joy and peace. And use that information to make yourself a strategic plan that is goal-oriented in the way of like, I'm exactly as Glenn said, I'm not going to learn Italian, but like if we go in lockdown again, I am going to turn off certain news stations and I'm not going to, I'm not going to start my day with, you know, um, with Twitter or something like that because, because it it gets me all fired up and it gets me all triggered up or it gets me all, you know, tense, whatever those things are, learn from what you've been through so that you can process all that stuff and you can make yourself a good plan where you set yourself up for success. Lean into joy, lean into peace. Remove things that sap peace and joy. Those are going to be some things that, uh, you know, God forbid we enter another lockdown. But if we do, we have been through one, exactly as these brothers are saying, so we can be smart about how we handle it and we can prioritize the things that matter. I don't have to, you know, watch the latest show that has gone viral especially if that kind of stuff triggers me. What I want to do is I want to lean into my joy and my peace, and I want to block out the stuff and keep the stuff out of my eyeballs and out of my energy that, that takes away joy and peace. Hey, it's, it's all great stuff from all three of these guys. And one thing I would add to and draw out in what they've been saying is it is great to learn from what you've been through in the previous cycles of something and apply them forward. And I, I think as all three of these guys pointed out, 
one of the things that really, I think, for the most part, didn't help me and didn't help other people I saw it in uh, in the first round, kind of early 2020, was that I'm just going to hold my breath until things go back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. And every time something moves on, I'm basically going to gripe that things aren't back to normal. Like, yeah, we can go out, but you got to wear a mask. And yeah, there's a vaccine, but you got to get a booster. And uh, it's, we, we will not make it be February 2020 again via science or magic. So that plan is, is not a good one. But I, what I love that all three of these guys pointed out is find a way to enjoy some stuff. Like we don't have to hold our breath and wait for it to be over because, you know, over who knows when that's on the table and what that actually looks like. Like, you know, we, we may be getting a COVID booster every year for the rest of our lives. And I, for one, will be very thankful to get that COVID booster every year, but yes, there are going to be some things of fact of life. You know, you may never get on a, on an airplane without a mask again or whatever it is. And those, we don't do ourselves well if we say, well, I can't enjoy, I can't actually enjoy my entire life until the, every bit of this is gone and I don't ever have to think about it again. We do need to recalibrate. And as these guys have all pointed out, if you do your recalibration pointed around what you can have some joy out of, which you can draw some positivity out of, that will go a very, very long way. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. We're going to take out the song this week in honor of our 500th episode. I think it's only fair to take you out with a say that slash bridge classic. This is the live recording of God. Don't let me quit. Yeah. Also very appropriate for something we've done 500 times in a row. Thank you so much <laughs> for listening. Maybe now more than ever. And just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Fun fact about early say that podcast. We often started the shows with ye oldie emergencies. <laughs> God so let me Jesus, I don't have the strength unless you give me it. God, so let me go. Selling out on who I am when you were born before your own. God, so let me think. I'm not welcome where
Unless you give me 